Is that okay? Technology. It's good to be here. It's uh, always a pleasure for me to come to this assembly. All this young life, you know. Most assemblies I go to in in uh, the USA and also in uh, Canada. Uh, they're, they're mainly senior citizens. Now, with all due respects to the senior citizens, because I'm one. I hadn't the courage to put up my hand, by the way, during the birthdays. I'm 79 tomorrow. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I could have a sticker on the way out, you know. And I'll show it to my beloved wife. She was looking forward to being with you here in... in this assembly this morning. She really was. But Dr. Humphrey, his wife, you know, was admitted to the hospital in Boca uh, last Sunday, I think it was. And, uh, oh my, she, she was quite ill. She was very ill. And uh, my wife is attending to her today while Dr. Humphrey dashes down to the Miami assembly. So do remember his wife. She's on the road to recovery. She was just released from hospital yesterday. And now the decision has to be made whether they should be going back to Canada or not. I guess it depends upon the uh, insurance company. She was in hospital for a full week and Dr. Humphrey was uh, wondering how much it was going to cost. You know, So please do remember him in your prayers. Now, I'm, I mean, I always like to preach the gospel. The gospel to me is my first love. There's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And the morning meeting this morning, you know, was a gospel meeting. I don't care what anybody says. That's what I believe. I, I was saved in the morning meeting as a boy of 12. Long time ago. I'll just pause while you calculate how long ago that was. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, what, what more powerful meeting could there be for the proclamation of the gospel when the saints are worshipping the Savior who loved them and gave himself for them? I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. So I love to preach the gospel, and I want to be very simple. And remarkably, the verse that I had in mind, you needn't turn to it, because it has already been repeated by two or three of the children. And... Uh, it's in Philippians 4 and verse uh, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's a remarkable verse. Truly remarkable verse. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Marvelous that. Now, I know the brilliant scholars among you will say, now, wait a moment, Mr. Graham, you know, you have to, you have to take the context of this. Well, that's true. One should always interpret Scripture in the context. It does not mean that all your needs, plural, every single one of them, oh, no, could be applied that way. I can understand that, making an application, because we all have multiple needs. We have hundreds of needs in any given day. But really, this is in the context, you see, of someone who is faithful, if you read the context, someone who is faithful and devoted in their giving, in their giving. Then this particular verse, in that context, 
has to be applied to you. How do you give? How much do you give? What do you give? Do you give yourself? And the Lord says, if, you, if you're engaged in all of these things, then of course, God shall supply all your need in Christ Jesus. To his glory, of course. I want to talk about needs in the plural this time. Now, most people realize that they have needs. I mean, that's such an obvious thing to say. You have needs every day, and so have I. Many of these children that we have seen are going to need an education. And that's why we have schools. Schools for the uneducated. I was a school teacher for many years. I remember when I came to Canada, first of all, I was uh, 30 years of age and I was hired by the London Board of Education, which is about 100 miles west of uh, Toronto. And uh, they were desperate for teachers to teach people who could not speak English. These were, this, uh, this course was called English for New Canadians. And they asked me if I, could, if I could possibly teach them at night school. Well, I, was, I had arrived in Canada. I had nothing. I had no money. And uh, I mean, I needed had a wife and two children, and I needed the extra money. So I said, "Sure, sure, I'll teach them." They had a great need, and so I was able to meet the need of these. I had about thirty students, and they all spoke English with an Irish accent. <laughs> you know, like it was the funniest thing. They all, they all <laughs> My Irish is still there, but uh, it has been modified somewhat from living nearly forty-seven years. 49 years or whatever it is in the subtraction in Canada but anyway we all have our needs some of you may be unemployed you need a job some of you may be ill you need a doctor the needs go on and on hungry think of the hungry people in the world and the food that they need every day all of us at some point in time become tired I find in my advanced years that I get tired around 9.30 and I'm anxious to get to bed to meet that need. I need a rest. A rest. Multitudes of needs. Our life is taken up day by day in trying to meet those needs. No question about that. Well, why is it then since we're all lost in our sins according to the Bible we're all lost in sin we're all away from God in our sin and we're destined for punishment because of our sin why is it that the vast multitudes in the world today are not aware of this need or if they are aware of that need they do nothing about it they meet all the rest of their needs But when it comes to the greatest need of all, the salvation of a person's soul, they are oblivious to this. They don't care. They don't care. My grandson, whom some of you know about, has cancer. He's 30 years of, he was 30 years of age yesterday. 30. He's gone through all the cancer All the radiation, the chemo treatments, and now they've got to the last resort, the bone marrow. He's an atheist. I've told you this before. He's not interested in the gospel. 
And the only one who can break him down is God himself. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. I spoke to him on his birthday and told him that I was praying for him. There was no response. He doesn't believe in God. He thinks I'm wasting my time. I know he does. But I mentioned this over and over again to him. His need. He's oblivious. Doesn't believe in God. Doesn't want to do anything about it. Now why is that? It's because the world we live in has so many distractions. And these distractions influence the believers. You and I, most of us here, are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have needs. We have a need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And and it seems that most of us ignore that need. Because there's so many things around us that distract us. But I was so thrilled this morning, and I think I spoke to most of the young men who participated. If I didn't, if I left somebody out, please forgive me. In the morning meeting, the young men who participated, that was wonderful. Just pouring out their heart and love. And preparing their hearts before they come to the morning meeting. Preparing one's heart to give glory and praise and worship. To our wonderful Savior. How good that is. The God of this world you see. Has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in unto them. So whilst they may be distracted. Because of the world. What the world has to offer. And the world has to offer many things. We are bombarded. We are bombarded left, right and centre, day after day after day, by the world and what it has to offer. And it entices us, it draws us away from God. The Laodicean church, you remember the Laodicean church in the back, back in the book of Revelation? Well they said, we have need of nothing. Baloney. Nonsense. But the Laodicean church got carried away. They thought they were top dog among the churches of Asia. We don't need anything. Oh, really? Well, they left their first love. They left their first love. You know, you may go about from day to day and give the appearance of being a bright, brilliant Christian and all the things you do. That, that's terrific. By the way, don't get me wrong. These things are important. But, but the important thing is that you keep close to Christ. That you do not lose your first love. That you're communicating with Christ on a day by day basis. He is the only one who will meet your needs to your satisfaction. And to his glory. <clears throat> We're all bogged down with material needs. Most of that is legitimate. But the Bible says your father knows. Your father knows what you need in the material realm. Your physical and all you I mean we need we need healing. We need healing when we are sick. We have personal needs. The quiet times alone with God will meet those needs because He will give you strength. We have moral needs. This is a dirty world we live in. This is a dirty, filthy world we live in. What with the literature, what with television? It's getting increasingly worse as we come to the end times. But you see, God will bring you through the moral difficulties of life. He will meet your need. 
You need Christ in this moral crisis. Then, of course, your social needs. I mean, you need fellowship with believers. You need fellowship with fellow members of Christ in the assembly and even those outside the assembly where you work. The Lord will meet those needs and your spiritual needs. We all have all kinds of needs. And that's the emphasis, of course, this morning. But I want to speak to those who are not saved. And maybe there are some here who are not saved. I don't know. What then is the greatest need? The greatest need, as I said before, is the salvation of your soul. That's my grandson's greatest need. And it is not only his greatest need, it is yours. Are you saved? Do you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are your sins all forgiven? Are you sure? On what basis are you sure? That's it. The greatest need of mankind is the salvation of his soul. That's your greatest need. I don't know what you're pursuing in life. I don't know what you're giving your time and attention to in life. To meet your needs. But I want to warn you. I want to tell you from the, the, the word of God. That your greatest need is the salvation of your precious soul. That's your greatest need. Millions of people have recognized their need. That they were lost. That they were sinful. Many people have discovered this. But many people have not. Most of the world's population today of three and a half billion as it goes about, just goes about careless. And if it does, maybe come to them, well, you know, I'm not right with God. If maybe they've heard the gospel in early years, well, they just immediately push that to the back of their mind. Now, what is needed to change that condition? What is needed to meet that need? Well, the Bible says two things. Two simple things. John chapter 3 verse 3 has the answer and that was quoted by some of the children. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the question is, are you born again? If you say no in your heart to my question, if you say no, then you are in desperate need. And I want to impress that upon you this morning. In a very simple manner. Matthew's Gospel chapter 18. Except you be converted. There's another word the Bible brings out. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words you must be born again. You must be converted before you can enter heaven. You're going to die one day. You're going to die. If the Lord should tarry you're going to die. Now that's a very morbid kind of statement. And nobody likes to talk about death. But we must all needs die. That's the way it is. I've told you before I lost a brother called Samuel. I never saw him. He died, he died shortly after birth. I, I, I lost my brother Billy when he died at seven. I'm going to die. Very soon. Unless the Lord should come. Take me home. Nobody likes to talk about death. The Bible says you must be born again. He's, the Lord said that to Nicodemus in John's Gospel chapter 3. Now here was a brilliant man. And you might be a brilliant person academically. 
But Nicodemus was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knew, he knew the Old Testament inside out. He was a highly respected religious man. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this man, with all his brilliant knowledge, he says, do, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Like, I mean, how ludicrous can you be? But of course you don't. He misunderstood Jesus. Can he enter in his mother's womb and be born? No, absolutely not. There he was. He was religious. Brilliant religious person. But he was not born again. He was blind. The God of this world, as I said earlier, has blinded the minds of many brilliant people today. I am shocked at the brilliant men whom I have met throughout my career and growing up and throughout my life. Many brilliant intellectual men who are not born again. All of most of my professors at university and most of the school teachers where I taught, 95 or 98 percent of them were atheists. Atheists don't believe in God. Oh, they know they're going to die, but they're just going to melt into the the world, the soil, the earth in which we live. Like how utterly ridiculous can you get? Now this explains, of course, that the God of this world who has blind this explains why we don't know our need. Maybe you're someone like that. You have a need to be saved. You have a need to be born again. You have a need of salvation and God wants to meet that need this morning. Right now in this auditorium. He wants to meet your need. And what a wonderful God. Instead of just demolishing us, instead of just putting us all away <clears throat> into a lost eternity. He wants, to, he wants to deliver you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you the greatest gift that a human being could ever receive. Yes. To some, this is foolish. To others, it's a mystery. The natural man, you see, says the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. This is a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual new birth I'm talking about. Spiritual new birth. You must be born again. You must. No other way to heaven. There's absolutely nothing you can do to merit God's salvation. It is God who must save you and God alone. Are you born again? Why don't you ask God to save you this morning? You need to be born again. Our problem lies not in our first birth, but the, see, the problem now relates to having the second birth. We have been born spiritually blind, and God wants to give us spiritual sight. He wants us to believe in Him, and to believe on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe the truth of the Word of God that He has given to us. That's what life is all about. That's what God intends for you and for me. So God, you see, by the new birth, he meets our need. He reproduces his nature in you and in me. Now, this is the greatest miracle that could ever take place. 
mean, this is absolutely staggering. God wants to remake our character, to control our character, and to make us like himself. That, that, that to me is one of the greatest blessings that anybody could ever receive. And yet it is despised. Just the way the Lord was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And they said away with him. We don't want him. We don't want millions say the same thing. Perhaps there's one here. And that's what you're saying. You don't believe a word that I'm saying. But maybe God's going to speak to you this morning. And show you your need. And maybe you are a believer in Christ. And maybe you're slipping. The old world is dragging you down, down, down. And you're neglecting things that you should not neglect. Okay, you're saved. Don't get me wrong. The Lord has saved you if you have put your trust in Christ. But you're drifting away. Now your need is to get back. Your need is to examine your life. And I will examine mine in the presence of God. And ask God to meet our need. How's it going, my brother, my dear brother and my dear sister? How is it going in your Christian life from day to day? Is it a drag? Is it something that you go through day by day carelessly? Or is this something that brings you alive from day to day? Well, I ask you to... It's, a mystery. it's all a mystery, by the way. This, this is all... A, I know it is. It's a vast mystery. John chapter 1 says, As many as receive him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Being born of God. Like what a blessing. What a blessing. That God, for most of us, if not all of us here, we are born again and we have been born of God. What a mystery this is. I admit to it being a great mystery, but I also admit to it being a realistic thing. It's a must. John says you must be born again. You must be born. And it's miraculous. It's one of the greatest miracles that mankind, that an individual could ever receive. A miracle. People are looking for miracles all the time. The greatest miracle is you being saved. You being born again. That's the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle that any human being could experience is the new birth, the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. But then secondly, not only is being born again your need, related to that is the word conversion. You must be converted, except you be converted. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is a different word from born again. This is the word conversion. The new birth, being born again, that brings new life. That brings new life into you. But conversion is somewhat of a different character. Conversion follows the new birth. Man obeys with repentance and faith. That's conversion. So my question to you this morning, my second question is, first of all, do you want to be born again? Do you want to have new life brought into your very being? God's life. God's character. God's way. Secondly, do you want to be converted? Then if you want to be 
converted, you have to repent of your sins and you have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. It's a whole new way of life. We convert, by the way, the word convert is pretty common in our speech today. For example, we convert rooms, you have a house in the, uh, you have a room in your house and you probably, you would convert that into maybe uh, a workshop, whatever. And of course, our, our wonderful governments in Canada and also in the USA are trying to convert the deficit into a surplus. And do they ever need it? The nations of the world are drowning in debt. Deficits. Now to convert the deficit, the only thing that you can do that's going to save the nations financially is of course to bring in a surplus. And that's what's causing all the riots in Greece. They don't want to change. They don't want, they want all, all this, and Ireland as well, the south of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, and Poland and, and Spain and all these European nations are, they've all got deficits that they just, they don't know how to meet. There's a new way of life. There's a new way of life. And that's conversion. And one of my favorite epistles is the epistle of 1 Thessalonians. When Paul was writing to the Christians in 1 Thessalonians, he said, You turn to God from idols. I love that. They, they were going this way and then they turned. They turned from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son coming out of the heavens. That's beautiful. It's the simplest epistle I think in the New Testament. One of my favorites for I'm a simple minded person. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. What about you this morning? Are you prepared to do that? That's how God will meet your need. You turn away from that. Whatever it is that is keeping you back from salvation. You turn to God from those idols that you worship. And he wants you to serve him. That's the change. And also to wait for his son coming back. You and I who are believers in Christ. That's our wonderful hope. The world we can all say is getting worse and worse and worse. We can feel it in our bones. You just listen to the news. You listen to the politicians and what they're trying to do. They're doing everything to defy God. They don't believe in God. But they want to defy the God whom you and I believe. And they want to change the whole culture into an atheistic culture. 50% of Canadians are atheists. 50%. Half the population of Canada. Atheists. Avowed atheists. And the number's increasing. So what is repentance? Repentance is turning. You turn away from your sin. That's exactly what you have to do. And of course you turn from sin and you turn to God. That's the meaning of repentance. Jesus began his ministry. Of course you remember in Mark's gospel Jesus said repent, repent, turn away from your sin, turn to God and then believe the gospel. Believe the message, the good news of the gospel. That's what salvation is, basically. And my brothers and sisters, this is what we have to emphasize more and more. As you work among the young people, 
As you work among the unsaved, be they young, be they teens, be they middle-aged or older people, you have to bring before them the whole question of their need. They have to repent and they have to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's faith. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. That is faith. That is putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached the same in Acts chapter 20. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what you have to do. It's simple. You confess your sins to God. You repent. You say, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to be saved. I have a need to be saved. And I turn to your son, blessed God. I turn to your son who died on Calvary's cross to take away my sin. And that's why we love to do what we did this morning. When we gather to remember the Lord Jesus Christ with the emblems before us, the bread and the wine, and we remembered him, we poured out our hearts in beautiful worship. Oh man, I was just in the heavenlies this morning as I listened to the singing and I listened to my brothers praying and the reading of God's word. I mean, I mean, this was beautiful. Where, where would you want to be? Compared to what we had this morning. Coming up with our hearts prepared to worship. And then waiting for the leading of the spirit. As one gets up and another gets up to lead in worship. I mean this is unique. It's absolutely beautiful. Yes. God commands all men everywhere to repent. God commands you to repent. John says this is the command, the commandment, that you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's consider this repentance a little bit further. But the time is marching on very quickly. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. We've got a, you're going in the wrong direction if you're not saved. And the Lord wants you to turn completely. You've turned away from God. You've gone your own way. You are your own master. You make your own decisions. You run your own life. And that's what they're taught in school today. That's the whole emphasis. You, yourself, and you're first. Me, myself, and I. That's what they're taught in the educational system today. All the way from public school all the way to university. The emphasis in this life is on you. But God says it's not. God says you have to repent from you. From being you. God says you have to turn away from that. And you have to have faith. You have to believe in the Lord. Put your trust. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man. This is just so wonderful. So beautiful. Except you repent, you will perish. That's what the Lord Jesus said in Luke 13. If you don't do it, you're going to perish in your sins. You're going to die. You're going to be lost in hell and the lake of fire. Eternity without God. No hope of ever repenting of your sins and turning to Christ. How do I know this? Because God has said so. In his word. Except you repent, Jesus said, you'll perish. Life is short. I can't believe that I'm 79. Death is certain. It's happening all the time, every day. Are you ready to die? 
God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. That day is appointed. And you're heading towards it. And the question is, have, have you met your need of God and his salvation? Have you? That's it. The prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son said goodbye to his dad and goodbye to his brother, goodbye to the family and off he went and he spent all his money in riotous living. He was, he was bound to the north, south, east and west by himself. He didn't care about his dad, he didn't care about his family. It's all about me. And into the world he went. He spent everything. Until he had nothing left. He was feeding the pigs, the swine. And to a Jew that was a horrible thing to do. He was brought to the lowest of the low of the low. Sometimes God does that with us. Brings us right down. And then he said, Ah, oh, really, you know, I should go back to my father and repent. So he went back to his dad. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I want to be one of your hired servants. I'm sorry. That's repentance. Why don't you do it today? Why don't you do it if you're not a believer in Christ? And if you are a believer in Christ and you've gotten away from the Lord and you're cold in heart, why don't you say that? Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I've been neglectful. I'm not playing my part in the assembly. I'm not really witnessing from you for you from day to day. I'm cold-hearted. I'm lukewarm. Whatever. Change your mind. You see, this whole business of repentance has got to do with the mind. You have to have a knowledge, first of all, up here in your mind that you're lost, you're a sinner. And you're going to a lost eternity. This business of repentance has to do with the mind. And it has to do with the heart. It has to do with the heart. You have to feel this in your very being. That God is holy. And you've defiled God. And you've got to feel this. That you don't deserve to be saved. And then of course it's all about the will. Isn't it? Not only the mind and the heart. But the will. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Why don't you do that this morning? Why don't you just simply go tell the Lord you're sorry. You repent. You, know, you repent of your sin. And you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sin. What's keeping you? What's keeping you? The Lord is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to die in your sin. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look to Calvary. That's what you have to do. Look to Calvary. I read, you know, just during the week of John Wesley. John Wesley, one of the greatest preachers in the world. One of the greatest preachers in the world. He lived in England, was brought up in England. He became a minister. He preached from the Bible. I mean, he was a highly esteemed academic. And he came to America and he preached. And then he went back to England. And when he went back to England, he went to church one day to hear somebody preaching. And he discovered that he wasn't saved at all. He wasn't saved at all. 
So what did he do? He did but he did he did in order to meet his need, he did what I'm asking you to do. He turned. He turned to God. He repented of his sins. And he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became a great warrior and saw thousands of th- thousands and thousands of people turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. This is a very simple message this morning, a very simple challenge to your heart. And I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning, are you prepared to repent, to turn away? Are you prepared to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you turn your way from your sins and look to Calvary and look to Jesus and confess your sins to him, He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Right now. In this place. On the very seat where you sit. He will save you. He has promised to do so. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. May the Lord bless his word. Shall we pray? We thank you, Father, for the rich provision you have made for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We never deserve the least of your blessings. We thank you for your kindness because we read in your word that the kindness of God leads to repentance. You have been kind and gracious to us. You're not willing that we should perish. You would like us to be saved. So we pray, Father, that each of us here will examine our own heart and look at the life we are living from day to day. And if we're not saved, Father, that we will turn from our sins and look to Christ for salvation, putting our trust in him and in him alone. And if we are saved, Father, that we would be exercised before you to make amends, confessing our sins, and seek to live for your glory. We thank you for this assembly, and all who are members of this assembly. We thank you, Father, for all these young people, and pray that they will dedicate their lives to you, to your service. So, Father, we commit ourselves into your care and ask your blessing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.